after further review, and this is one of Frank's favorite songs. Do not listen to him. <laughs> he is selling you snake oil. We don't sell snake oil, but we provide an entertaining and thought-provoking sports show on 88.3 WXUT. Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And sometimes we provide a life lesson. Ain't that right, Frank? Life lesson, my ass. Don't be a hater. And tune in to AFR Saturday mornings, 11 to 1 on WXUT. Fula. Welcome back to 88.3WT's After Further Review. Myself, Frank Bashner, and Dave the Man of God Harris here on the phone lines. Just got done reviewing the NFL draft. Now we're talking a little bit about another, I guess, live uh, sporting event or past sporting event or documentary because there's no live sporting events because of the pandemic. It's the last dance about the Chicago Bulls. And, and at first they were trying to say that it was like the... Uh, um, the 97-98 season, but it kind of is not. It's kind of is, but then it's kind of going back and flashback and throughout the career of Michael Jordan, how the how the excuse me the Bulls were actually built. Um, they've already gone through four episodes, uh, and then um, later on this week or at the beginning of next week, they'll have episodes five and six. Um, and it's ten ten episodes actually. It was originally supposed to be in June during the finals, but because of this pandemic and nothing's going on, ESPN and Netflix kind of pushed it up. And uh, it's been getting a lot of good uh, reviews, and a lot of people are watching it. And uh, we're gonna have our thoughts here on eighty eight point three WTS after further review. Make sure you check us out on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And if you like the show, give us a rating. And uh, also check out our Twitter page and follow us at AFR Sports Show. It's got the picture of Frank Vashner and the horse's head. Fellas, your thoughts on the documentary, The Last Dance? Well, as I, as I mentioned, I and I, when I was seeing a lot of the ads for it's like okay this is actually something pretty well done i mean i because the stuff on when I, I was a kid and i was kind of following the nba here and there and then so i just said you know what i want to give me a little bit of a refresher about what was happening then and i would say it's the um, very well i mean i never even realized how how underappreciated scotty pippen was because he was only making so much money he deserved, i think if he played anywhere else he would have been making a lot more and all, and also well no he, that's he not got, really a guarantee that that's oh um, yeah that's I think, a misnomer I mean, just, that's just my opinion that's kind of just my opinion is well if, frank you, you can't you can't say opinion and try to make it as fact either like david said yeah. you know, some of these guys are now trying to rewrite the narrative you, you can't be rewriting the narrative although I, and i want to throw this in there too Dennis Rodman, so-called, that 48-hour vacation that turned into, uh, like, four or five days. I mean, can you guys imagine that if something like that happened in today's day and age of social media and TMZ, like, if some, if there was a star basketball player that were was to take a lead from his team, go to Vegas and be gone for a while and... Let's let's say that if it, let's say for the sake of argument, it was Anthony Davis decided to leave the Lakers for a few days, go to Vegas, 
and LeBron James has to go there and drag him out of a hotel. Can you imagine if something like that happened today? What happened again, uh, Frank? Well, well, they were t- well, we were talking about Dennis Rodman when he went to on his bender in Vegas and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with Carmen Electra and how Jordan basically went there went and where? dragged him out of the hotel room. Went where? It was, I think it was a, the end of episode three, first part of episode four. Mm-hmm. Where, where, did, where did Jordan go? Went to, he went to lot, he went to Las Vegas to go get, Den, to go get Dennis Rodman. That is false too. That, that's, that's false, Frank. And, and, and David, I think might know this too, is that if really? you did a little bit of, of research and they told you actually uh, later on. Uh, this is another one where the the, the film kind of dramatized it. it. Actually, what happened was Jordan go to Vegas. Actually, D- Dennis Rodman was gone for about forty eight hours. Actually, they they say really D- Dennis was gone for thirty six hours. He went to Vegas, hung out, chilled, did what he wanted to do for about twenty four hours, and then he came back to Chicago, where he lived in an apartment across the street from the Berto Center. And actually, that's where Michael Jordan went and got him. It's from the Bertel Center apartment. He didn't go all the way out to Vegas and then, you know, go pull him by his ear and then put him on the plane and get back to Chicago. Actually, Dennis was already back in Chicago at the Bertel Center and or at his apartment across from the Bertel Center. Actually, he had two apartments. He had a townhouse uh, across from the Bertel Center, and then he had, I believe, an apartment across from the United Center at the time. And, and that's how that went down uh you know he didn't go to vegas so yeah they kind of they kind of muddied it up a little bit there well but still imagine something like that happened in today's day and age though well with the social media the the cat would have been out the bag yeah it would have been a huge uproar right so, anything else from Frank from the from the documentary? I'll let David uh, speak his piece right now. Yeah, I think I think for me, kind of like I said, kind of some of the revisionist history pieces, kind of was what stuck out to me. And so, thinking about kind of that Rodman Bender, thinking about the fact that in 2020 we're using 2020 logic and 2020 kind of salary cap understandings and how much money is in the league right now to kind of lambast Scottie Pippen for the deal that he made when he was kind of re-upping in Chicago. And kind of his contract is cute. Like, we have to take ourselves back into the mid-90s. Like, a whole lot of people weren't making, like, the Michael Jordan contract money. Well, they're not like, trying to say that. Well, they weren't trying to say that, David. They were saying that, you know, you're probably the second best player. You're top five player in the league, and you're only getting paid at 122. It wasn't a matter yeah. of if he was only making two million or three million or four million dollars. It was the fact that you're the top five player in the league and you're getting paid at one twenty two because you got caught up in a long term deal. Yeah, no, but what I'm hearing is from journalists kind of they're lambasting the fact of why didn't Sky Pippen take a short term deal? Like this is kind of second guessing history. Like if Sky Pippen had taken a short term deal, then he would have been able to get that quote-unquote, you know, this current language, the Supermax kind of top five player money kind of when it was time at that point of the documentary. And I'm looking at it like, damn, like, 
Like, are you thinking clearly? Like, yes, we he probably in hindsight, Scotty Pippen probably recognizes that, you know, at the time he should have been paid like a top five player. Well, but because of the deal, like, I think uh, for me, that's where I see a lot of people kind of looking at it that way and kind of saying, well, he shouldn't have taken the long-term deal when he did. Like, yeah, you, you the the NBA. You're right, David. The NBA was totally different back in the day. It, it, it's kind of like they say it's a players' league. It was a players' league now, but back in those days, it, it was it was more towards ownership. And then they also mentioned too at the time when he signed the deal that next year the revenues bumped up tremendously. Really, to be honest with you, after the Dream Team, the league just went global and the league just exploded. So he kind of was in that kind of vortex, so to speak, of how the old the league was on the come up, but it just wasn't quite there yet. Um, and you, you also have to understand too, uh, back in those days, the free agency wasn't as prominent as now, where you're getting people with the highest bidders. You, if you if you go back and you look at back in the day, the smart move. Back in those days, if you wanted really guaranteed money and security, was to re-sign with the team that actually drafted you and to get a long-term deal. And usually that's where guys made their most money. I mean, let's face it, the team that drafted you is going to be the team that values you. That was the thinking back in the day. When you did free agency and you went somewhere else, a lot of teams kind of lowballed you. And, and it makes sense nowadays because you think about nowadays, teams now can sign their own player to the highest amount of money. You, you kind of realize that now, that that, that was kind of put in a couple of uh, agreements and a couple of co- collective bargaining agreements a couple of them ago, uh, so to speak. Not this, not currently, but there was a few back, back probably before the lockout of the 2011 or whatever. Um, but back in those days, yeah, if you went off to free agency – you probably were going to get a deal where you were going to get less money. So you always wanted to stay. Because a lot of times in those days, in those thinking, well, why isn't this other team trying to resign this guy if they drafted him? I mean, basically, the team that invested in you was going to give you the most money. Now, teams that didn't want you, they traded you, or if you were never really an initial investment with you, you're usually used as a trade piece or you're just a guy that we just picked up. Now, obviously... As the years went on and the revenue and the TV money got higher, you know, things evolved. So for him, you got to remember back then, 1991, there's some things and maybe they might explain this in the documentary. You got to remember Scottie Pippen, they came off a back surgery in 91. Um, And some people were kind of leery about that back, about how, you know, if he was going to be able to have a productive career. I mean, he was up on the upswing, but how long was he going to actually have that? So for the Bulls thing, they were kind of like with the, how the mentality was and that back issue. Reinsdorf said, well, we'll lock you up seven years, so much money. At the time, he was probably one of the top rated players to be paid back in 1991. Another factor that they haven't addressed yet and they'll probably address it in this dream team episode possibly is the tony kukoc effect which you know i don't want to be a spoiler or anything like that but they, they've talked about it in early episodes of the animosity of scotty pippen toward kraus one key contributing factor of that animosity is tony kukoc 
And if you read the the book, the, the Jordan rules that they had, um, he basically they figured they were going to let Scottie Pippen leave after 1991. They said if Kukoc comes, you're out of here, Scottie. And th- that led to you know some more animosity, and then obviously he ended up signing the deal. But there was two factors with the reason why he ended up getting that deal and kind of getting screwed out of money is because of Kukoc coming around and basically Krause had even said that he thought he Kukoc was the Jordan of the European League. And this was back in the time before Europeans really came in the league, and he even said that he thought he was better than Scottie Pippen. So that's what he thought. So Scottie Pippen kind of panicked and rushed, signed a long-term deal. At the time, it was a pretty decent deal, but unfortunately, after 1992 and the globalization of the league, the league just kept rising. Um, by the time 97, 98 came around, he was the lowest paid, uh, one of the, for a top player, very low paid player. So, I mean, you, you got to put that in context. And you're right, David. You know, we are, some people are taking the 2020 uh, theory and trying to put it back 30 years ago, the 1990, 91. Yeah, that's, not, that's something that I'll, Definitely be looking forward to seeing the next couple of episodes. But I mean, kind of, I mean, kind of just jump into one thing that I don't that I don't think is going to get covered. And if it is, I will be absolutely shocked. Is the theory about Jordan's first retirement or a larger retirement, which? I this is something I've kind of sat on for a while, gentlemen. How long have you sat on this frame? Probably is this been is this the uh, new hot take? And we and I told you before that there that it there is rumor that he does tackle this in the documentary. I don't know what episode, you know, but it is rumored well, that he does talk about it and he puts some stuff to rest. So, but well, go ahead. Well, we'll see. I mean, I this is something I've kind of sat on for probably. Last, I would say at least several, at least last several months. I mean, I thought about bringing this up on several months shows, but or is this after yeah, you listen to your father figure, Valenti? Is, is this well, been the I mean, last I, several days? Well, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. This is something I he mentioned on his podcast. Always aggravated a long time, a while back. I mean, this is like probably almost a year ago. I mean, I thought, and I thought, you know, maybe we could do a show topic on this, and I kind, it kind of got forgotten about. But then when the last dance comes out, and I start thinking, okay, maybe this will be talked about, and that is, and it's basically this conspiracy theory. And now, let me, let me, let me proceed this by putting out a disclaimer. I don't put myself out to be a conspiracy theorist. Well, here, Frank, I'm I'll help to, you. I'll I'm help you. I'll help you out here, Frank. We'll play. We'll, we'll, Frank, I'll play this okay. clip so we can set it up for the fans to go into what you're kind of talking about. There's, there's, there's rumors that that the murder of his father was linked to gambling, which was kind of a bad mark on the NBA and David Stern kind of told Mike, instead of giving you a suspension that we need you to kind of leave. So this is Michael Franzese 
who was part of the Colombo mob family who had some insider information. And this is a clip that was from your father figure show, Valenny. He'll talk about this and then we'll get on to the, the controversy. Here it is. Were you, you know, in terms of your, well, I'm not going to say your involvement, but how much did you know about that whole situation? Because Jordan himself was a, a serious gambler. Yes. You actually referred to him as a degenerate gambler. He's a big gambler. Big. I mean, Michael gambles on everything from what my experience is, what I was told, and people that know him, yes. Okay. Did you personally know him at all or no? I met him. I met him uh, actually at a, a, an NBA deal that we had, an event, yeah. Okay. But he never gambled with you? With me, no. Okay. So he had this serious gambling problem, and then his father gets murdered. And there was always speculation if one had something to do with the other. From what you know... Again, I don't have first-hand knowledge of this, but being that I was working with the NBA at that time, um, I was told two things. One, that he was told to leave the NBA around the time that his father got murdered because stories were about to come out and there was a lot of heat on the fact that because of Michael's gambling habit, his father paid the price. And the NBA didn't want the, uh, uh, the press, so they asked him to leave for a while. That's when he went to play baseball. And then when things settled down, he came back. The plan was always, from what I was told, uh, for him to come back. Now, again, I heard this from a source I believe was, uh, was pretty knowledgeable, somebody I knew pretty well, inside the NBA. Um, so for me, it's secondhand information, but I thought it was reliable. And then putting it all together, knowing that, you know, Michael did have this uh, gambling issue, uh, that is very possible that that could have happened. So you're saying there's a, a strong possibility that his father was murdered because he wasn't paying back his gambling debts. I don't know. Again, I can't be specific. I don't know if it wasn't paying back. I don't know what, again, the specifics of it were. But I was led to believe that it had something to do with his gambling problem. Okay. Exactly what, I don't know. And honestly, I, I didn't care enough to look into it. Okay. But the guys who killed him got, got caught and sentenced. From what I heard, yeah. Okay, Frank, so we, we, we listened it up, the, the setup. Uh, now, go ahead. Well, after hearing that, that pretty much makes me believe that Jordan was secretly suspended after, 90, after the 93 season. David Stern, I mean, didn't describe it as suspension because that would have sent everybody into a tizzy and they wanted to protect the NBA. So he just said, you just take a couple of years, let this cool off and then you can come back. So that's, that's pretty much what I believe. I mean, given the fact that Jordan had again, had his gambling issues, those and would be wagering, let's say a hundred thousand dollars on a hole of golf or, something ludicrous like that uh he wasn't and he probably had problems paying back his debts so he got uh into some debts with the wrong people somebody put out a hit on his father and his dad gets murdered in some somewhere in south carolina in the middle of nowhere which leads me to believe when the, and there was also something i heard that there was an investigation into this by the NBA, but since David Stern wanted to protect the league, protect Jordan, somebody told him, you just go away, 
put everything on ice for a while, let this cool off, and then after a couple years, you can come back. Because I believe in Jordan's press conference saying that he was retiring to go play baseball, he said he would come back if David Stern lets me. So that's why that's why I believe this is one, this is one conspiracy theory that I believe is a hundred percent true. Jordan was suspended, and also the other thing about it that that kind of that I, w- that I wish they would get to is that he didn't is that he never got the chance to go against Hakeem Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets in the NBA Finals because who knows how that series would have gone. Would the would the Bulls have won twice? Would they have split? Will they have lost both? Because I mean, truthfully, Jordan Wooden was never satisfied with just winning one championship or two or three or six. Even if he would have had a chance to win ten, he probably would have tried to go for eleven. Okay, <clears throat> so. I guess you get a little tidbit from a former crime boss guy, and now you're, you're feeling that this this conspiracy, uh, th- there's somewhat some holes in it, though. I mean, <clears throat> why would you have your biggest cash cow and the guy that brings in the ratings for your business go away? I mean, as they say in the NWA uh, movie, there isn't such thing as no no bad publicity. Any publicity is pretty much good publicity. So even if Michael Jordan had the, all these theories and stuff out there, it, it it brings in more eyeballs to the NBA. Why would you have your cash cow just leave and then come back? And, and you, he's out for a whole season. Not only is he out for a whole season, he's only he's out for eighteen months and then comes back in pretty much middle of March of ninety five doesn't make really much a lot of sense why not just sit out the full two seasons come back for the 95 96 season why sit out that whole time and then miraculously come back in the middle of march of 95 um let's let's say for the sake of argument that this this investigation actually did pan out and it was brought to light that jordan had his gambling was uh but he didn't stop him from gambling though it, 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 think about it. it. Even after he came back, he was still gambling. He would gamble at his restaurant, and it was known. It was known he'd yeah. go on gambling boats in Chicago. So, once again, it didn't really, <laughs> it didn't really like stop him from gambling at all. Oh yeah, but I think again, I think it was more David Stern trying to to protect. The NBA, and plus, given the fact that there were tie, there were ties to the mob and all that stuff, I think it was basically more of a cover your ass move. Well, how is that? Because the, even if you look at the uh, Vlad TV, there's even more where uh, Michael Franzese talks about how professional athletes in all the sports all have gambling problems because of the type of personalities that they have. They want to win. They're, they're, they're addicted to winning and they're ultra competitive. So if anything, almost if you can if you think about it, he even says in his interview, and I could probably bring it up, that a lot of those guys have gambling problems, even besides Jordan. I, I mean, I, I can't <laughs> disagree with that. So, I mean, I guess my thing is why say leave? I mean, David Stern had already conquered the the drug-riddled 
image of the NBA and, and rebuilding that, I, I think someone gambling is a little less than the drug riddle image. And it's only one player. It's not everybody, though. Um, th- do I think David Stern possibly pushed him out of the league? No, I, I don't believe that. Do I think Jordan possibly quit because of his father's murder? Yeah, possibly. It was an emotional shakeup, and it could have been linked to his gambling problems. Possibly. But I don't really think it was a, a secret NBA suspension to pretty much push away the guy that was pretty much driving the ratings of the league. I guess you and I will have to agree to disagree on this one, Derek. But kind of since we are on that subject. And another another feature here, too. um, At that time in 1994, no one picked the Houston Rockets to be in the NBA Finals. No one. And they had it. And they ended up beating, was it the Knicks in 94? They ended up beating the Knicks, which was then the infamous OJ in the white Bronco. I believe, oh, yeah. Game three happened. Yeah, um, and they all they went all the way to a game seven. But to be honest with you, the team that was supposed to actually make it was the Seattle Supersonics. Now, obviously, they had the best record in the league at 63 wins. Um, but then the Denver Nuggets, that the eighth seed, ended up beating them in the best of five series. So that kind of altered a little bit of history. Not to mention, the Bulls ended up winning 55 games that year with Scottie Pippen, which actually gave a great maturation process for him. Um, even though, you know, against the Knicks that year, uh, they drew up a play for Tony Kugos, hit a game-winning shot. But that's neither here nor there. But the, the one thing people will remember is the bad Hugh Hollins call in Game 5 with the Eastern Semis that – to be honest with you, the the Bulls would have probably won that game in Madison Square Garden and then went back to Chicago and closed out the series. But instead, um, the Bulls ended up losing in Game 5, and then they had to go back to Chicago to tie it up. And, and everyone knew with that series that that was a total home court advantage series. If the game, if the, the, the Bulls needed, the series was tied 2-2, if the Bulls, we're going to win that series. He had to win that pivotal game five uh, to win it. If they didn't, and it was going back to seven, if it was going to go back to New York, they weren't going to. They weren't going to do it. It was going to be too impossible to beat New York two times in a row that year. A uh, really great team, and not to mention New York was really hard to beat in in the Garden back then. So uh, yeah, that that I think really was tell telling of, of the Bulls. And if I think if that call wasn't made, I do think that. Scottie Pippen and the Bulls get to the finals and probably play the Rockets. Now, do they beat the Rockets Mm, without Jordan? I would say no, but I think they could have beat the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals that year of 94. Yeah, but one thing I did kind of want to play off this is I want to know if either one of you guys has a sports conspiracy theory that you are convinced beyond a shadow of a drought is true so wait a minute well first Dave, first frank let's well, get david's please, take frank. on your theory or about this conspiracy with jordan first yeah like for me like i don't like i understand that you know mobster prime off like but to kind of like just kind of flat out with 100 percent certainty say this is it the exact reason why he left like again we don't know for sure that's trusting a you know mafioso 
kind of a couple regime within the mafia that's kind of trusting one source that has a secondhand source. For me, as you know, a journalist, I'm like, who's the source? Like, where do they get this information from? Do they know for sure? So for me, that's why questions. And then just again, from the financial standpoint, like at the height of Jordan's power, then he goes away. Like, like Derek said, that that that's not good for business, especially kind of off the heels of kind of in the midst of like during this economic boom, like people are talking about basketball, the game is spreading global, and then kind of again, your your biggest cash cow just disappears for two years. Like that's like it could just be like you said, like emotionally overwhelmed. Like like losing a parent is tough. Like you're not gonna want to go to work. Like after you just lost your parent, and then yeah, murder for him too. to be murdered, Brut- yeah, brutally like, murdered. Like I'm not trying to go to work. I'm not trying to be around like media where you know. And this is whether it's 90s media or 2020. People are going to ask, "How are you feeling in light of your parents passing?" Like, do you think you know, like who killed your dad? Like, like he didn't want to deal with the questions. And you know, we know the media would have asked that kind of stuff. True, because we're still talking about like you know, wonder who did it. I wonder who killed his dad. Like. Like, so if I'm Michael Jordan, like, yeah, I'm like, let me just step back and deal with my own stuff. Like, going to play baseball, you know, it, like, it was just a sports nut in him. And, like, he had to do something because it's probably driving him insane just being at home. But, yeah, like, I can understand him just wanting to get away from everything and just kind of take a break. Yeah, I just think it's kind of strange that he just came back in the middle of March. If, if he was going to step away, then he should have just stepped away. And then came back that uh, that basically that next season and, and started all over. Especially as we said, he wanted to go for championships. That '95 Chicago Bulls team was it, it, it wasn't good <laughs> to say the least. It, it was not a very good a, a good team. It was a middle of the pack team. Even if he was on it and being a little rusty, there was no way he was going to beat. Especially the Orlando Magic. They just had too many too many weapons on that Orlando Magic team. Um, and then eventually um, they ended up sweeping them in 96. Um, but, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the con- the conspiracy. And, you know, I don't have any other conspiracies. Make this real quick so we can keep going on about the, the last dance because it, it is an enticing documentary, but we kind of got to stay a little on path here. Yeah, I mean, well, well, I mean, what we can I mean, I can probably get to what your guys' conspiracy is a little bit later, but we'll stick to the last dance for now. All right. Anything else? Any surprises? Yeah. Something like, oh, I didn't know that, and oh, okay, or, you know, what about the, 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 the bad boys one, or or, or well, anything? Well, the, ba- the bad boys one, the thing about them walking off the court without shaking hands, I know people were... Probably then we're in a tizzy about them leaving the floor well. And then Isaiah Thomas comes out and says, well, when we beat the Celtics in 88, hey, they walked off the floor, but I went up to Kevin McHale and stopped him and he shook my hand and walked away. So that's kind of, I mean, so, so I mean, I think a lot of stuff about the bad boys walking off was kind of a little bit. Was kind of a little bit overblown, especially hearing what Zeke had to say. Hey, but I mean, even today, if something like that would have happened, it would have been a much bigger uproar. What's that in the background? It's not like is someone at a, a, a Tim Hortons or something? Or 
I'm at home. Oh, okay. I, I, I hear stuff in the background, so I was um, trying to listen to I what you were saying. Um, <laughs> the, the Zeke thing, it, it's interesting to me. Um, I, I do remember that as a Bulls fan, them walking off. I, I, I thought they could have shook. Now, what they don't mention also in the documentary, and I think that should be a shame on them, and they're making it about Isaiah Thomas. Joe Dumar shook their hands. When they when they walk out, they don't show it in the video because they showed Isaiah Thomas. But if you get a glimpse, you got to look real hard. Joe Dumars does shake their hands. Um, not all the Pistons walked off. Um, majority of them did. Um, some of them, I believe, did kind of shake their hands after in the tunnel, which does happen in the NBA sometimes. You know, you lose a series, you give them the, the deuces, and then you know you take a shower, and then you see them under the tunnel and you, you know you, you give them a the handshake but I do know that Bill Lambeer and, and Isaiah Thomas didn't shake their hands at all but Joe Dumars did and and, and it's been it's, it's kind of it's been brought up years afterwards but it's kind of like swept under the rug for some odd reason um uh Joe Dumars was probably one of the most respected Pistons out of that bad boy era and a lot of people don't mention that either I don't know why uh, but yeah, it, it it it. I thought it was a little classless, and I thought Isaiah, instead of just taking ownership and acceptance of it, he kind of tried to put the blame and say, "Well, the the Celtics did it." Well, just because the Celtics did it doesn't mean you had to do it. You know, one minute you're complaining about how you felt disrespected that you weren't the NBA's golden team or golden boy because you weren't Magic and Larry, and you want the respect. You finally win the golden trophy twice in a row, but yet you go and disrespect the Bulls team that was you prior. It just didn't make any sense to me, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah. David? Yeah, I would say the exact same thing. Kind of like we did an entire 30 for 30 on the bad boys. Like we don't need to rehash kind of why he was left off the dream team, kind of the handshake. Like, like we already know kind of the Detroit Pistons, and this is part of like my kind of think about the revisionist history. Like we've we've already like we've beaten the dead horse about the dream team. Like we get it. Isaiah was not on the dream team. For whatever reason, Jordan has his thoughts, Zeke has his thoughts, Magic has his, John Stockton has his, like Well like John Stockton we, has we, nothing to do with it. He was picked over uh um uh, Isaiah. Well, I mean, a couple of people were saying, like, there are some quotes that, like, Magic Johnson thought that, you know, like, this is one report, and kind of, I was, I was find a news story, because I think it was Sporting News, there was an article talking about, like, how this was blown out of proportion, Zeke is no longer the evil villain, like, because John Stockton would be better for chemistry, because this was right after the walking off the court thing, and there's, quote-unquote, still bad blood and things like that. But yeah, for me, it's like, there's a 30 for 30 on the bad boys. It's now, like, like, I guess this is Jordan's side of the conversation about it. Like, yeah, for me, like, that's... Like, can we just put this thing to bed? Zeke wasn't on the Dream Team. Dream Team was fine. They were going to win with or without Zeke. Like, this, that's... Do Jordan and Zeke talk? Probably not. Do Zeke and Larry Bird talk? Probably not, but... Like, yeah, like, I, I think... Yeah, I think you're... I kind of agree with you, David, that it kind of seems like they're... 
there's some history with Jordan and Isaiah that they're trying to kind of make an ant into a molehill where, okay, this is the reason why he was on the dream team because, well, Isaiah, Isaiah tried to, are you at a department store, David, or what? what's going on over there? Yeah, just needing to a rest stop, which kind of fashions as a department store. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you might have to put us on mute because, I mean, it's like you price check on prune juice by price check is in the background. But I, I kind of think that, you know, freezing them out in the all-star game supposedly and then the whole bad boys thing. And then, you know, Jordan saying they weren't really good champions. And all in all, those were... I think some things that happened, but I don't think that was directly the reason why he wasn't on the dream team. And there was other players that didn't want him on the team. And I know Carl Malone was one of them. That's why Carl Malone whacked him when he went down the lane and made his, you know, split his head open, which he still has a scar above his eye is um, above his uh, eyebrow from when Malone did that. Um, I mean, Isaiah, he, even though he says he was part of the players union, there was some people that thought Isaiah was fake. You know, he would smile for the camera and stuff like that, but he, they thought he was a dirty player. Um, I think he's probably one of the best point guards in league history, but you know, it, there was just something that wasn't really likable about him and the Pistons. And, and I think there's been some players that have said the reason why they didn't like Isaiah Thomas was because, there's the dirty play. Okay, you guys play physical. A lot of people think that, kind of like Chris Paul, he did a lot of sneaky things behind the scenes. Like, he wants to be this likable, lovable guy, but behind the scenes, he's telling guys, you know, we're going to give him a couple elbows here and do this, some of this dirty play. You're condoning the dirty play in the background, but then being like, oh, well, you know, not me. I'm the lovable Zeke or... You know, in the Bad Boys documentary, as, as, as David pointed out, Adrian Dantley didn't like uh, Isaiah Thomas and thought he was kind of a sneaky guy and feels that the reason why he got traded was because Isaiah went to management and wanted to bring in his buddy Mark Aguirre. You know, it was kind of an underhanded deal. So, you know, not only did Jordan and maybe Carl Malone didn't like him, I think a lot of players he kind of rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, well, I think everyone's got their own opinions on it. Yeah, from 30 years later. And like David said, you know, they're they're rehashing stuff. But so far, fellas, how have you liked the actual last dance? Has it lived up to your expectations? Has it been like, eh, what? I would say it's lived up to expectations for me. David, are you still in the uh, in the in the cashier line? Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would agree that it's lived up so far. There's a lot more to be told about the story and kind of a lot more evidence. And hopefully there's a couple more gems that we can find hidden in these next six episodes. Yeah, so far so good. Any surprises? And don't say nothing about no controversial, you know, gambling problems. Anything else besides that? Mm. I think we'll have to see the rest of it to answer that one in full. Right. They, I, I mean, I know, Frank, you like, the, you like the juicy takes. I think for me, just kind of, and maybe this is another part of the retrospect and me not being around kind of when this was happening, but kind of the, the revisionist history on Jerry Krause. Like, was he always a blue pole, or are we just like now figuring it out because it's Jordan talking about Jerry Krause? 
in this documentary. That's a that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And as David is probably checking out and getting a can of beans over at the uh, the truck stop, uh, I, this is the one problem I have with the documentary. And maybe you guys agree with it. They are painting Jerry Krause as a bad guy, which that's their you know their prerogative, and they're allowed to do that. But if you're gonna do that. <laughs> At least do it so the guy can explain himself. I mean, the the guy is passed on, and they're just dumping it on this guy and dumping it on this guy, and he doesn't even have he doesn't even get an opportunity to explain himself. I mean, you know, to me, I can't really judge the guy because he can't explain his side of the story. You know, if, if he was alive to be able to explain his side of his story, he could probably tell you, okay, at that time I did this and this. Maybe at this time. Now that I've had time for it to marinate and think about it, I maybe I shouldn't have done that. But instead, it's kind of just like, yeah, this guy was some little short fat guy that wanted to really get the credit and always wanted to to to, to be one of the guys, but he never could. Um, my take on this is this: I think Jerry Krause is a genius. Um, <laughs> for some of the draft picks he made, you know, drafting. Scotty Pippen, when he was really called Scott Pippen from an NAIA school, and only a few years earlier he was the manager, or or getting Horace Grant, who you know, think about it. They they Seattle drafted Scott Pippen, and the Bulls drafted Olden Polonies, and they made a, a a trade. What a snag! You know, everything that he's built up besides getting Jordan. Obviously, Jordan's the main piece. Or trading Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright, uh, picking up even Tony Kukoc, you know, to help. I mean, the trade for Will Purdue for Dennis Rodman, uh, firing Doug Collins, even though he got you to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, almost trading Scottie Pippen for Tracy McGrady, and then seeing the career Tracy McGrady had. I mean, the, the almost pulling the triggers this man made it's like holy crap for somebody that used to be a baseball executive he was making some pretty dang on good deals to build a championship team i i think the problem though is, is along with his genius i really think he had people are, are painting him out to be this evil guy that wanted the credit but i think at the end of the day he probably had some social skill issues and obviously back then we didn't know anything about that but now that we can examine people i really do think he probably maybe could have had a slight been autistic or had asperger's where socially he 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 couldn't interact with you but his mind as far as evaluating talent and putting the pieces together was just exceedingly far ahead of everybody. Unfortunately, though, I think his some of his tactics were a little, you know, not good for the relationship side of the business. I was so to speak. He just didn't have that knack because I think he maybe might have been socially dyslexic, or he couldn't pick up on social cues, or he was maybe autistic or had Asperger's. I don't know. I mean, obviously, he wasn't diagnosed with it. But now that you look at things and how mental health illness has gone on and how different people are on a spectrum, I kind of think that's what he was. Straight genius when it came to sports and, and evaluating talent. But I think he has some social anxieties 
that made him look like the bad guy? Your guys' thoughts. Well, now that you mention it, I think that's definitely a possibility to me because I've it seemed like in the first few episodes they were painting him out to be the villain. Oh, they were. Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. I mean, because I, mean, I think I saw some meme on Twitter that were showing the villain in Space Jam and uh, Jerry Krause. They were trying to point out the similarities. But, uh, I mean, hope. I mean, like you said, he was never diagnosed with it. And I began, when you were talking about it, I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll kind of go into this in somewhat of a detail, but now this is one of those things that maybe the world may never know. Oh yeah, now that he's he's dead. I mean, he's made comments about how you know organizations win championships, and you got to remember though, I don't think that was a slight to Mike and them. You got to remember he came from baseball, and you guys know baseball. In a sense, organizations win championships for baseball because you got to put the right pieces together to win a it's hard in baseball the the pitching's got to be on point you got to have the stick on point you got to have your defense on point in clutch situations and if you don't have all three of those together your chances of pretty much winning a world series are, are are slim you could probably make the playoffs now because they've expanded it so much but then again back in those days it was hard to make the playoffs. You had to get first place in your division, either the AL West, the AL East, or the NL West, or the NL East, and be a pennant winner. So, but in basketball, you can get one or two players, and they can pretty much win the championship for you because they can be on both sides of the ball. But in baseball and in and, 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 and part of football, you got to be tactical, like you we just did with the draft review. You got to be tactical. You got to get the pieces. One guy is not going to win a championship for you. Now, are there positions? In certain sports where, besides basketball, a little bit more important, like the quarterback position, yeah. But if the quarterback has no line and has no one to throw to, he ain't getting you to the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah. So he, he the comment he made, and obviously I guess the guy forgot the extra part of, of, of it where you know he said that all three parts were together. But what he's saying makes sense to me. Yeah. That must be Jerry Krause. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I was a uh, home phone next to me ringing, and I had to silence it. Oh, you got a landline there, Frank. Uh, yeah, it's just in, I'm at my kitchen counter. But, yeah, that's the the one thing I don't like about the deck documentary is that they did kind of paint this guy as an evil. And even if you look at Jerry Krause, you just look at it in his face, he kind of looks like he has a little bit of Down syndrome, just a little bit, a touch of it. Almost, you know, just the, the droopiness and whatnot. Now, my, my, me, people do, reporters do know and maybe had a conversation with them and maybe he vented eventually and just said, I want the credit. But at the same time, though, I, I do think that it wasn't more or less him wanting the credit. I think he was a genius in what he did. And, and Reinsdorf said he was a genius in what he did and he, he could put the pieces together. I just think that socially, he couldn't connect with them. And, and a lot of times in sports, I'm, I'm starting to realize this now and later in life, you know, it's about relationships. You know, these pro players are human beings and you, you can't be treating them like trading cards where, you know, yeah, you're just an athlete and, you know, shut up and dribble. And, you know, we're going to try to put the pieces together to win a championship. A lot of times there's ways where 
you can still be a successful organization and trade people, but you got to treat them with some respect. And I think it's easier then for the player in the organization because everybody realizes that no one's not untradeable and, you know, it doesn't last forever, so you have to enjoy it. But I think when you don't have that social aspect, that's where relationships start to sour. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably why that he's that he's portrayed this way, partly because it's one-sided, and so we're getting Jordan talking about Jerry Krause, Jordan's kind of side, and because, you know, Jordan Doc, or I guess Jordan spearheading this like he does with everything else, kind of his perspective. And it will be interesting to see how journalists feel, kind of think about retrospect about Jerry Krause. Kind of, is this a positive representation of Krause in the 90s, like, if Krauss were alive today, would obviously he would be vehemently against what is being said, but yeah, like I would love to kind of get his side of the story. Like what was going through your mind when you made this deal for Scott Pippen at the time? What were you thinking? What did you think about this, this, this? Like sometimes even looking at the um the thirty for like the thirty for thirty for the Lakers and Celtics, like we got a chance to hear some of the executives kind of angles on that more it's more like the modern day era but like we still got to hear some executive perspectives so i think it would definitely have lended itself not just to have reinsdorf but also jerry Krause kind of talking about some of the executive mindsets that happened and not just kind of jordan not liking kraus and everyone getting a chance to really see like, wow this guy well, and also I, I, I started to kind of have a little disdain for, for Reinsdorf. He kind of throwing the rock and hiding his hand. At the end of the day, he's the owner. It, it made it seem like, well, you know, I, I hired this guy and he just made the deals. And, but you're the owner. At the end of the day, you have the final say of what happens with your team. And everybody knows that Jerry Reinsdorf's a cheap guy. He's cheap. I mean, look at the White Sox. I mean, yeah, they've won one World Series. But I remember in 97, they were in the lead in their division, he just broke up the team for no reason because he thought it was going to be too expensive on the back end. And I believe the pitcher, Wilson Alvarez, went to the Marlins and ended up winning the World Series. So he's always been cheap. Um, But I, I think he needed to, for one, what was going on in those executive rooms and what was the conversation you were having with Kraus and give us more of an in-depth uh, uh, look of what was going on instead he kind of threw him under the bus too kind of saving himself like well yeah man it was all jerry but yet when jerry wanted phil jackson to be gone after the 96 season you kept him for two more seasons and the season before the last dance you actually went up to his ranch in montana and signed him you, you know you had some say you had some pull and and to do that to that man and plus with him being you know passing on i just thought that was very unfair and, and and to me, it, it makes me feel like who who really was the snake? Was it really Kraus or was it Reinsdorf? And to me, the way he kind of just is pushing Kraus in the mud and he can't really defend himself and trying to make it seem like, well, yeah, you know, it was Kraus's all his idea to break up the, the band when you could have easily said, look, dude, you might want this, but, you know, Phil's my coach. I'm the owner. He stand for one more season in 99. But he didn't do that. It was just like, oh, you know, Jerry did it. So, okay, I went with that. No, it was probably because you knew that in 99, with the lockout coming, 
you didn't want to be paying Pippen, you didn't want to be paying Jordan, you didn't want to pay Phil, and you sure as hell didn't want to pay Rodman all those big salaries. So it was kind of like, well, we're going to hit the reset button here. That's that's basically what it came down to. Yeah, I think because he's around to like tell, quote-unquote, his side of the story, it lends itself to be like, yeah, it was like I was trying to, like I was on Mike's side the entire time. Like, yeah, he was the peacemaker. And, oh yeah, you know, you know, it was that was all Krause's idea. But you're the owner, so at the end of the day, you you make the final decision. If you want Mike to come back or Phil to come back, he could have did it, and he did it the summer before. So to me, the whole time Jerry Reinsdorf was was a walking contradiction. Yeah, and that, and that just lends itself to the revisionist kind of piece that I just kind of, like, I'm really interested to see kind of as this detail plays out, like, what other kind of some of those storylines that, like, yeah, like, like we're seeing some things come together and some of those journalists who remember kind of some of those other details, comments, like, we've seen so far and be like, no, I remember that happening differently. I'm pretty sure that, you know, this, this, and this happened in, in contradiction to the actual report, and it's like, nope. This is what this is kind of the Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf, Michael Jordan perspective, and then we have the kind of like no, this is what actually happened. So it'd be interesting to see just kind of more how that develops over these next couple episodes. Yeah, you know, I'm waiting for it. Are you guys watching it live? Or are you taping it or what? I've watched uh, the last first four episodes live, and I intend to watch the next two live as well. Well, there's 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 six more. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the next six, oh. I should say. Okay. Final thoughts, fellas. Yeah, well, I mean, they got they're gonna. I know they're gonna be talking about the dream team next, and I want to say there's gonna be a little talk about Kobe Bryant as well. I want to say in yeah. episode six. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to that. And he makes an appearance. I mean, yeah. obviously before the tragic the tragedy, so. So that's that's something that's something that's something that's going to be worth watching. I guarantee it. David, I just want the truth to keep coming out. Like, like I love how, like, as far as these like documentaries, like we get to see these other perspectives and these other sides. Like, like, can we just finally get to the truth of some matters? And it's like this, these documentaries are definitely providing some answers. But like we just talked about, there's a lot more questions that we can ask after we see some of this information and I just I just want the truth. Like you you guys didn't have to lie about the Dennis Rodman thing. Like the truth was fine. Like, you didn't have to exaggerate it. Yeah, that, 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 that is true. So we will end this segment here. Um and the last segment we have is also with, with the NBA, um well, I guess the G League and some of your guys' thoughts on that. Um, it was a really good show, though. I mean, fellas, uh, pretty impressive the, 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 the last couple of weeks that we haven't been doing anything. And by the way, congratulations to Frank as he's recovering. Good job, Frank. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because I had fractured my uh, shoulder a few weeks back in an accident home, but had a CT scan on um, Monday of this week and got the results back that it's pretty much healed. I just got to work on getting my range of motion back, but that's so I'll come in due time. Yes. We'll have another short segment here as you're listening to 88.3 WTs. After further review, get your thoughts on this new G League. Is it the new wave of kids bypassing college? And we've had this argument before on this show. 
Um, what's it going to do to college basketball? Is it going to really help the G League and the NBA? Get Frank and David's thoughts here on 88.3 WGTs. After further review, make sure you always check us out on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We'll be back after this.